Well, I want to welcome those of you who are at our Sugarloaf campus, as well as those who are watching online and where I'm teaching today, which is from our Mill Creek campus. We are one church with two locations. We have a Mill Creek campus where I am today, which is about 20 miles north of our Sugarloaf campus, and I want to encourage you to attend whichever church may be the closest to you. Different people face different emotional battles. Some people struggle with jealousy. Some people wrestle with anger. Other people fight with bitterness. Some people have a problem with anxiety. And I want to be very transparent with you and confess to you today the biggest problem I've ever faced and face emotionally in my own life and my own ministry. It may surprise some of you to, to know this about me, but the biggest battle I face is discouragement. In the basement of my home, I have a Georgia room. Some of you have seen it. And contrary to what some people think, I don't consider it the holy of holies, although I can tell you every time I walk into that room, I do take off my shoes because I feel like I'm standing on holy ground. Uh, just kidding. For the most part, when I go to that room, there's good memories. There's been a lot of life and a lot of love and a lot of laughter in that room. And uh, we just have a really great time. It's a great time to get together and chip and dip and watch ball games and do certain other things like that. But there are times I go down there and I stand at my pool table and I look out the window into my backyard and I think about one of the most discouraging times in my life. It was a cold, wet, rainy day, February of 2003. And I was literally becoming a man without a church. Because on the one hand, the church I'd pastored for almost 18 years and loved dearly was kind of beginning to recede in my rearview mirror. I decided to plant a new church. And there were certain people that literally came out of the woodwork and began to cause all kinds of trouble simply because I was trying to do the will of God. I was trying to follow the will of God. And, and I was struggling to really decide what to do. But when I made my decision, they weren't happy. In fact, there are people who are here at, uh, are, they're, they're at our Sugarloaf campus today, and, and they were a part of that. Uh, it, it got pretty ugly. False accusations were thrown around. Some very ugly things were said. Some of them even wound up in the newspaper. And I'd be the first one to say that I, I, I would go back and do some things differently, and, and, and I'm, I'm sure I made a few mistakes. But the primary reason why people were hurt and angry and upset and bitter was because they were not wanting me to leave. They, they wanted me to stay. My future had never been more uncertain. It finally hit me that I was about to leave a well-established church in a well-established position with a certain future to start a church with as yet not even a temporary location with no clue as to how many might come with me and whether or not even the team that I had put together could even really pull this off because remember, I'd never planted a church in my life. And I will never forget that, that day, that, that, that afternoon, that rainy afternoon, cold, wet, dreary, and I had tears in my eyes, and I had this just gut-wrenching feeling in my stomach. And I really began to wonder, do you even know what you're doing? Do you even know what you're about to get yourself into? Well, thankfully, I, I picked up the phone, and I called my oldest brother, Richard, who has always been one of my greatest encouragers, and I poured out my heart to him. And he gave me just what I needed, an emotional pat on the back, a, a word of encouragement, and a strengthening prayer. You see, I know right now I'm talking to some very discouraged people. 
You're discouraged because you've been looking for a job for a long time and you can't find one. There are some people who maybe you're discouraged because you feel stuck in a marriage. You can't seem to do anything to get that other person to love you like they once did. You're discouraged because you've got this debilitating disease or this illness or this physical problem you fought most of your life and you, you know that it's never going to go away and, and it just seems to make life miserable because you know you're probably not going to get any better. Or maybe you're discouraged because you got into something that you just knew couldn't fail. You knew it was going to succeed, but it didn't. And it fell flat on its face. Well, we're concluding a series today that we've called Overwhelmed. Because life at times does get overwhelming. Life's hard. And it doesn't play fair. It'll smack you in the jaw when you're looking the other way. It will knock you down and kick you while you are down. And we've talked over the last several weeks about how you can get overwhelmed with guilt. You can get overwhelmed with depression and, and or, or, or bitterness. And, and you can get overwhelmed with stress. And you certainly, I know I have been able to get overwhelmed with discouragement. Now, before I get into this, let me just clarify something. I'm not talking about depression. I, 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 I went through one time in my life a state of depression. Trust me, I know the difference. And there's a big difference between depression and discouragement. In fact, one doctor put it this way. He said, depression is a pathological state. If it's bad enough, physicians can treat it. Discouragement is a moral state, a failure of heart. You treat discouragement by taking courage, not Prozac. That really is true. In fact, a good definition of discouragement, if you think about it, is found in the Word. When you're discouraged, you are discouraged. You have lost courage. There's a complete absence of, of courage in trying to, trying to get your arms and hands around a, a, a certain situation. In fact, if any of the following is true about you, you probably are suffering from discouragement. If you're disheartened by obstacles, failure, or criticism, you're probably discouraged. If you're distressed, lacking courage and confidence, you're probably discouraged. If you're disillusioned, you just lost hope for the future. I'll never find a job. I'll never get my way out of this. You're discouraged. This is really one if you're disinterested. You're just totally apathetic. You're at the point where you say, I just don't even care anymore. There's no initiative. You're discouraged. If you're doubtful about certain actions that you've taken, you thought it would work, but it didn't. You thought you were right, but you were wrong. You're probably discouraged. And then if you're down on yourself with a low sense of worth, I knew I couldn't pull it off. Why did I try? Look at me. I'm a failure. You're probably discouraged. Now, discouragement can easily sink into depression because when you're discouraged, you lose heart. When you're depressed, you lose hope. And listen, every, even well-meaning people can discourage you. I've been around people that tried to encourage me, but they were wound up being a discouragement, and that can happen. There was a husband that was very discouraged about where he was in life. He was talking to his wife, and he looked at her, and he said, Honey, I feel old, fat, bald, useless, and stupid. She looked at him and said, honey, don't be silly. You're not that old. Now, there, there are people out there like that. They, they don't want to be a discourager, but they are. And it's so easy to get 
discouraged. It's, and let me just say this. If you're one of those people right now and you're saying, you know, I felt bad when I came in, now I feel worse. Let me help you out on something. If you're discouraged, you're not alone. Some of the greatest men and women in the Bible battled discouragement. As a matter of fact, we're going to study one today. If you brought a copy of God's Word or you have an iPad or a, a smartphone or a tablet, whatever you might use, I want you to turn to a book in the Old Testament called First Kings. Now, obviously, that kind of tells you something at least. It's right before Second Kings. But there's a little book called First Kings. It's not too far from the beginning of your Bible. I want you to turn to First Kings 19. We're going to study a man today that was absolutely at the bottom of the barrel of discouragement. In fact, it's kind of surprising to see who he was. His name was Elijah, and he's known as one of the greatest prophets. He may be the most famous prophet in all of the Bible. Now, one of the most amazing things about Elijah is he was discouraged when, when you look at where he was in his life. He should have been encouraged. He was down when he should have been up. He had just achieved one of the greatest single-handed victories in history. He faced greater odds than General Custer, but he came out victorious. You may not know the story, but he had gone toe-to-toe -to -toe with 450 false prophets of the pagan god Baal. He decided to meet them on Main Street at high noon. He said, okay, let's just see who's worshiping the right God. Are you worshiping the right God, Baal? Or am I, am I worshiping the right God, the God that I call Jehovah or Yahweh? Who's worshiping the right God? And they went one-on-one, -on -one, or actually one to 450, in this spiritual contest where the loser would die, and he won. Well, before that, he had prophesied a nationwide drought that would affect the entire land, and it happened just as he said. Not, don't, not only did his prayers cause God to stop the rain, and, and, and rivers dried up, and lakes dried up, and sand turned to more sand, but then when he prayed again, he moved God to start the rain, and the rivers filled up, and the lakes got full again. Well, even before that, he had done the unthinkable. He had done the impossible. He had literally raised the son of a widow from the dead. And so here he is right now. He is at the absolute peak of his spiritual power. He's at the absolute top of his national popularity. And yet he's at the bottom of the barrel of discouragement. You say, why was he discouraged? I mean, he had all these things going for him. He could raise the dead. He could stop the rain. He could start the rain. He could take 450 prophets out just like that. Why was he so discouraged? And this is what's amazing. Because of one angry, ticked-off woman. Now, I know there's some of you men probably saying right now, I get it, been there. They certainly have that kind of power. Well, it was one woman. Now, many of you know her name. If you don't, probably the most infamous name in the Bible, at least for a lady, her name was Jezebel. Now, if you don't know anything about Jezebel, let me just put it this way, and then you'll understand. If you are a single man out there right now, never marry a woman named Jezebel. Just don't even go there, okay? She was not happy with, with Elijah. 
Number one, she wasn't happy because he had just taken out 450 of her profits. She wasn't happy about that. But more than that, there was a national revival stirring up. People were getting close to God. They were beginning to turn their back on her and the king, and they were beginning to turn toward God, and she didn't like it. And oh, by the way, she was the wife of, the, of this wicked king named Ahab. So now we're going to pick up the story in 1 Kings chapter 19. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, how he had taken out the prophets, how he was raising people from the dead, how he was preaching the word of God, how revival was breaking out, and how he had killed all the prophets with a sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so may the gods, by the way, the false gods that he knew about, so may the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Now, here's what had happened. This wicked queen had put a contract out on his life. Well, first of all, he had already raised his son from the dead, so he knew God had the power of life and death. Number two, he had already taken out the 450 prophets of Baal. He knew she didn't have any spiritual power but he forgot all that. He forgot all about God. He put God in the rearview mirror. And just like that, he went from the mountaintop of victory to the valley of discouragement. But he came through it. And I want to share with you how he did it because you can do it as well. And here's what I want you to take out the door. You ready? When you get dis dis discouraged, don't give up. Look up. When you get discouraged, not if, you will. And when you get discouraged, don't give up, look up. So you're discouraged today, you're down and out, you're, you're in the middle of a big pity party. You think, okay, I've just reached the end of the line, can't go any further. Let me tell you what to do. Three simple steps are all right out of this text. Number one, realize it. When you're discouraged, first step you got to take is realize it. Whenever you're dealing with any type of emotional issue, the first thing you've got to do is just own up to the fact that you're dealing with it. Honesty is the best policy. See, one of the best, biggest mistakes I made in my ministry is when I get discouraged, I don't tend to tell anybody. I don't want anybody to know that I'm down. I don't want anybody to see any weakness in my life. And usually the person that sees it, sometimes that's a stuff of the consequences, is my sweet, dear wife, Teresa. Well, you need to be honest with yourself and be willing to admit, I am in the emotional dumps because sometimes we either get discouraged because of things that happen to us or we get discouraged because of something that someone says to it says to us and, and, and let's face it we, we all occasionally feel like charlie brown you know charlie brown has his had his own discourager you remember her name her name was lucy Lucy was always ready to tell Charlie what a loser he was. She was always ready to, to put him down in the valley of discouragement. As a matter of fact, in, in one of these, in one of these uh, comic strips that uh, Charles Schultz wrote, she said this to, 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 to Charlie Brown. She said, Charlie Brown, you are a foul ball in the line drive of life. You are three putts on the 18th green. You are a 7-10 split in the 10th frame. You are a drop rod and reel in the lake of life. You are a missed free throw, a shank nine iron, a called third strike. Have I made myself clear? Do you know any Lucys? Maybe you're married to a Lucy. <laughs> Maybe your spouse is married to a Lucy. 
Or maybe you're one of those people, you say, man, I don't even need a Lucy. I'm my own Lucy. Nobody gets down on me better than me. I'm an expert at getting down on myself. Well, at least Elijah was honest enough to admit that he was so defeated and he was so discouraged that he even said this. Listen to this. He said, it is enough. That is, I've had it. Can't take anymore. I'm done. Now, oh Lord, take away my life for I am no better than my father's. See, discouragement will make you act like a failure. It'll make you think like a failure. It will make you talk like a failure. It will make you see like a failure. It will make you hear like a failure. And it will make you just absolutely convinced you are a failure. So let me remind you again, some of the greatest godliest people in the Bible battle discouragement. Moses. Moses got discouraged because he couldn't lead the people of Israel. They wouldn't follow his leadership. Elijah, we see, was discouraged because a woman wanted to kill him. Job was discouraged because of all the suffering he had to go through. Even Jesus got so discouraged that in the Garden of Eden, he prayed the only prayer he knew God could not say yes to. Great people battle discouragement. Good people battle discouragement. Godly people battle discouragement. Kings and prime ministers and presidents and CEOs, everybody battles discouragement. So my first piece of advice to you is this. If you are discouraged, quit trying to hide it. Quit trying to keep it under the ground. Tell somebody, let somebody know. Don't be afraid to ashamed, or ashamed to admit it. Don't be afraid to tell someone. Let somebody in on the fact, look, I am discouraged. Number one, realize it. Number two, reason it. Reason it. Now, let, let me tell you what I mean by that. One of the best things that you can do when you're discouraged is to force yourself to sit down and just truly analyze why are you discouraged. Well, this is one of the best things I've ever done when I get discouraged. I stop and I say, okay, now wait a minute. Why am I so discouraged? And, and, and is this even a valid reason why that, that this should discourage me? And so I, I'll begin to think of everything that might be causing my discouragement. Let me tell you why this is so important. There have been a number of times in my life when I sat down and just took a deep breath and said, okay, why are you so discouraged? It didn't take me long to realize that shouldn't discourage me. Either A, I, I can fix it. B, it's going to pass. C, I know eventually things are going to get better. And so I realize at times I really should not be discouraged. See, one of the things that we see in Elijah's life is he was discouraged after just coming off one of the greatest feats any prophet had ever achieved. He had achieved an unbelievable victory. His approval ratings were skyrocketing, and yet he's discouraged. You know, one of the things I've noticed about my own life, and I bet you'll realize it too, have you ever noticed how you can get discouraged after you've come off maybe a, a great thing that happened in your life or some great accomplishment that you were able to put off? You know, it's really amazing how, how, how sometimes you'll get discouraged. You think things are not going so well, but things really are going just great. Let me, let me give you an illustration uh, uh, from my life. Do you know what my absolute favorite Sunday of the year is by far? Anybody want to guess? Easter Sunday. Now, you know why Easter Sunday is not just my favorite Sunday of the year? Do you know why Easter Sunday is probably the favorite Sunday of the year of every pastor on this planet? You say, yeah, because that's when you have your absolute biggest 
crowd. You have your largest crowd. The largest crowd you're going to have all year long. You're exactly right. We know that's going to be our biggest day. I don't know. If, I've never talked to a pastor in my life that was discouraged on the Monday after Easter Sunday. Everybody's up. Everybody's pumped. Everybody's excited. As a matter of fact, there are pastors that I don't hear from all year long, but they'll make a point to call me or text me or send me an email to tell me what a great Easter Sunday that they had. And it's amazing how pastors will call and they'll say, hey, hadn't talked to you in a while. Just want to see how's your family doing. And they'll say, oh, by the way, how many did you have for Easter? I mean, it happens all the time. Well, you want to guess what my least favorite Sunday of the year is? Yeah, it's the Sunday after Easter. And pastor can, pastors can get just as low on the Sunday after Easter or the Monday after the Sunday after Easter than they were on the Monday right after Easter. You know why? Because the crowds go back to what? Normal or in some cases, subnormal. I mean, you go from here to there. And all of a sudden, you were on the mountaintop of encouragement one week ago, and today you're in the valley of discouragement because your crowd was more than cut in half. And see, the first thing you need to do is realize I've got to identify what's causing my discouragement and put it in proper perspective. I've now learned to realize, look, Easter is a blip on the screen. Easter, frankly, is just not reality. That's not where things are. And, and For example, uh, there have been times I look at the Monday after Easter and I'd say, man, I just can't believe how much we dropped. Yet when you compare the Monday after Easter this year to the Monday after Easter last year, we were up, say, 100 or 150. And so you realize Man, I shouldn't be discouraged. I should be encouraged. So what you've got to do is you've got to put your discouragement in proper perspective. Let me give you an example. Okay, so you're discouraged because of a, vo of a vocational situation. You say, I can't find a job. Okay, put that in perspective. That doesn't mean you're never going to find a job. As a matter of fact, statistics all will tell you Anybody that keeps looking for a job will eventually find a job. Here's another example. Maybe you're discouraged because of a marital situation. You're not sure that your marriage is going to work out. Well, put it in perspective. Just because you don't are sure or you don't know it's going to work out now doesn't mean it won't work out. There are a lot of marriages. I mean, every one of us can look back at probably at times we were honest and say, you know, we went through a rough patch in our marriage and, and it was a real struggle. And maybe there was a little, little bit of a doubt in your mind you were going to make it, but you did. And, and, and let's take the worst case scenario. Let's say that your marriage doesn't work out. It won't work out for whatever the reason. In spite of your best efforts, the marriage doesn't work out. I'm not trying to, to belittle that. And it's a terrible tragedy when a marriage doesn't work out, but it doesn't mean the end of the world. It doesn't mean God throws you on the garbage heap of life. It doesn't mean that God's finished with you. It doesn't mean that God still can't use you. And you see, Elijah did two things you should never, ever do when you get discouraged. And let me just warn you before I tell you what these are. If you ever do either one of these two things when you get discouraged, you will just make your discouragement even worse. And what's even worse than that is, if you're not careful, then you can turn your discouragement into depression. First of all, don't give in. Don't give in. That's what Elijah did. Listen to what, he, what happened in 1 Kings 19, verse 3. As soon as he found out there was a contract on his life, here's how he responded. Then he was afraid. Translation, then he was discouraged. 
all the courage had drained out of his life. And he arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and he left his servant there. Elijah gave in to the first thing that discouragement will bring you, and that is fear. See, that's what discouragement does. Discouragement will drain all the courage out of you. And instead of being full of faith, you will be full of fear. And then when you're full of fear, what do you do? Then you run and then you hide. And the cardinal sin people commit when they get discouraged is to do just what he did. They get into a shell. They, they isolate themselves. They're afraid to face up to the fact that they're discouraged. They don't want anybody else to know that they're discouraged. And, 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 and so the first thing you've got to do is you've just got to make sure that you don't give in. You know, you've know, you, you got to face up to the fact that you are. And then again, you've got to say, okay, let me reason out again. Let me, let me think about this. Why am I discouraged? For example, sometimes there may be a physical cause for your discouragement. You know, one of the things that I, I did not tell you on purpose is Elijah was physically worn out. He had just come off of a long fast. He had run 18 miles to deliver the good news of his victory over these false prophets. He hadn't had anything to eat. His strength was gone. He was thirsty. He was physically exhausted. Well, who wouldn't be uh, uh, immune? Who, who would be immune to discouragement? Who wouldn't be vulnerable to being discouraged when you're in that kind of physical condition? Vince Lombardi, the great football coach of the Green Bay Packers, once said, fatigue makes cowards of us all. That is true. And how, how ironic it was that Elijah could stand up to 450 prophets. But he couldn't stand up to one woman. <laughs> it's amazing. 450 prophets, no big deal. One woman, head for the hills. Now, the point is, you will never, ever win the battle of discouragement if you cut and run. I, I'm not a military man, but I'll tell you this. I've studied enough military to, uh, history to know this. You have, there's never been a victory ever won on the field of battle when you retreat from the field. Now, you may live to fight another day, but I have never read of any army that ever won a military victory by retreating. doesn't mean there aren't times to retreat, but if you retreat, you can't win. So first of all, don't give in. If you're discouraged, don't give in to fear. Don't give in to this feeling. It'll never work out. I'm doomed. Number two, don't give up. Don't give up. Listen to what happens next. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, and he came and sat down under a broom tree, and he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough now, O Lord. Take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. He was so discouraged that he felt dying would be better than living. Let me tell you how this works out. I was reading a, 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 an incredible book, uh, a World War II book, and it was about American soldiers that were captured by the Japanese in World War II. They were put into these terrible concentration camps. Now, there were times that soldiers would die because of a true physical problem. Most of the time, it would either be because of malaria or it would be because of dehydration, or it would be because of diarrhea or dysentery, or it might be a combination of this or other things. That, that was expected. But this is what amazed doctors. What amazed doctors was they, was, they were amazed to see that in many cases, soldiers that should have lived died. And you know how they died? They willed themselves to die. Soldiers died who were sick, but they weren't terminally sick, and they could have recovered. 
But the same thing they said happened every time. They said, here's how it would happen. They said the soldier would suddenly get this unmistakable look on his face. They called it the million-mile stare. It was as if their heart had just waved the white flag of surrender, and they would just give up. They said without exception, every single time they saw that look on the face of a soldier, they said it would be sometimes within hours and sometimes even within minutes that a soldier that could have survived, a soldier that could have gotten back on his feet, a soldier that could have been resuscitated was dead. In fact, they even gave that condition a name. You know what they called it? Give up itis. There's some of you listening to me right now. You have give up itis. And I'm telling you, you cannot give up in the face of discouragement. See, this is a good place to remind you of something. Listen carefully. This is important. God is in the encouraging business. Satan is in the discouraging business. In fact, the Greek word for Holy Spirit is a word that means called alongside to help and encourage. I don't believe there's a greater weapon in the arsenal of the devil to try to stop a believer in their tracks than the weapon of discouragement. So get to the root of the problem, reason out why you are discouraged, and then take the third step to overcome it. Third step is you remedy it. You remedy it. Let me just stop and say this. I don't want to come down too hard on you if you're discouraged. I'm not trying to make you feel worse, okay? So let, let me just make something very plain. This is so important you hear this. There is nothing wrong or sinful about getting discouraged. There, there's nothing wrong with it. Nothing sinful about it. There, there's nothing wrong or sinful with being discouraged. But there is something wrong with staying discouraged. In fact, do you know one of the reasons why this book was written? This book wasn't just written to tell us how to relate to God, though that's the number one reason. It wasn't even just written to tell us how to get to heaven, though that is one reason it was written. You know why this book was written? Listen to what the Apostle Paul said. He said, for whatever was written in former days, that's this book, for whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through, say that word with me, encouragement, that through the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. We might have hope. God has given us a book that is filled with encouragement. Why do you think the stories, the great stories of the Bible are in there? Just so we could make Hollywood movies out of them? Just so that we could show them on a, on a documentary on television? Just so that we could read them as a bedtime stories to our children? No. You know why these great stories are in the Bible? For our encouragement. I mean, even this story was written for our encouragement. See, there are some practical things you can do that Elijah did to overcome discouragement. You don't have to let discouragement be the tail that wags the dog of your life. You can, listen, this is important. You can literally act your way into feeling encouraged. And that's a whole lot easier than trying to feel your way into acting encouraged. Did you hear what I said? See, the solution is not, well, I'll, I'll, I'll just try to work myself up and feel encouraged, and then I'll act. You'll never beat it that way. You've got to act your way into feeling encouraged. Say, so how do you do that? 
Let me give you some steps that Elijah took to overcome his discouragement. The first one may surprise you. First of all, lie down. You say, what? No, I'm being serious. Take a break. Lie down. Listen to what he did in verse 5. And he lay down and slept under a broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and he drank and he lay down again. Remember I told you how exhausted he was, how emaciated he was, how dehydrated he was, how thirsty that he was, how tired that he was? Well, discouragement will usually do two things for you, to you. It will rob you of your appetite and it will rob you of sleep. Discouraged people don't sleep well, they don't eat a lot. So the first thing that Elijah did was he took a nap, got some sleep, ate a good meal. Now, let me just tell you something. One of the most spiritual things you can do in your life is rest. One of the most spiritual things you can do in your life is to relax, to take a nap, to get some sleep, to fix yourself some food. Listen, taking a vacation is not just a recreational deal. It's a spiritual deal. Sometimes one of the most spiritual things you can do is take your kids to Six Flags. Now, you better be full of the Holy Spirit when you do that. But one of the most spiritual things you can do is just take a break and just relax and get away. I can tell you, baggy eyes and an empty stomach is not going to help you overcome discouragement. So the first thing you need to do, lie down. Second thing you need to do, look up. See, when you're discouraged, you'll tend to focus more and more on your discouragement. And then when you begin to focus on your discouragement, it's kind of like being in what's called a death spiral. You just, you, you, you're in a spin and you can't get out of it. And then discouragement will lead you into depression. And then depression will sink you into the quicksand of despair. And when you get into the quicksand of despair, that's when, and here's how you'll know it when you do. When you've gone from discouragement to depression to despair, then you do the one last thing that you think will make you feel better. You know what that is? You throw a pity party. That's what you do. That's what Elijah did. Listen to what, what he said in verse 4. I've had enough, Lord. He said, take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Now, the merit translation of that's a lot easier. Woe is me. Don't you feel sorry for me? Elijah had completely forgotten God, and he threw the one party that no one ever comes to except you, and that is a pity party. Let me just warn you of something, okay? God doesn't do pity parties, and let me just tell you something else. Nobody else does either. Nobody's coming to your pity party. I'm not coming. They're not coming, and if they do come, they're not going to bring a gift. Nobody does pity parties, and you'll never solve a problem in your life by looking down. Now, look, what happens next changed everything. Listen to verse 8. And he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mount of God. Elijah is directed by the angel to go to the mount of God. What is the mount of God? The mount of God is where God was wanting to meet Elijah. And when you're discouraged, let me tell you something. God wants you to go to the mount. There's a place where God wants you to meet him. And when you go to the mount of God and you meet with the God of the mountain, there's only one direction you can look. You know where that is? Up. You don't ever look down at God. You always look up to God. When you go to the mount of God, you look up. And see, to overcome your discouragement, you can't look inward. 
You can't look downward. You can't even look outward. You've got to look upward. Because when you're looking at no one but God, listen, when you're looking at no one but God and nothing else but God, that's when you could put everything in its proper perspective. That's when you could say, why am I so discouraged, God? You can handle this. God, you can take care of this. God, you can get me through this. God, I am not in this alone. So when you lie down and then when you look up, then you can take the third step and that's this. Listen hard. Listen hard. So here's what we're going to read. And he said, go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by. And a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rock. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after fire, there was the sound of a low whisper. I want to read that passage again. I wanted to throw that back up on the screen. Let me, let me just read that one more time. And he said, go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. Behold, the Lord passed by. When you go to stand by the Lord, he'll pass by. He'll, he'll meet you. You go meet God, he'll show up. And a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. Now, let me tell you why that's so important. You know where you'll hear God the best? Not in this building. Not in this high school. Not where we're meeting right now. You'll hear God best at, even in a small group. You hear God best when it's just you and him. In that still, small voice. And God wants, you to God wants to speak, but he often waits to speak until you quit looking down and you start looking up. So you want to overcome your discouragement? You got to quit thinking about yourself. You got to quit thinking about your problems. You got to quit thinking about what caused that discouragement. And you've got to start thinking about God because it is when you're in the valley of discouragement that God can speak the loudest. And it's when you're in the valley of discouragement you can hear God the best. Now, let me tell you what I say for last disappointment, which really causes discouragement, disappointment is often his appointment. Yep. Sometimes God allows you to go down into the valley of discouragement, not to discourage you, but to encourage you. Sometimes God lets you get into these situations where you say, I can't do this anymore. I can't take this anymore. I cannot go any further. And God says, well, great. Now I've got you right where I want you. Quit looking down, quit looking in, quit looking out and start looking up. Look away from whatever's causing your discouragement to an all-powerful, almighty God who can give you encouragement. And listen, one of the greatest ways to do that, one of the things that got me through that time of discouragement in my life, I just stayed in the Word of God. I kept reading about what God said to me and what God said for me because you see, you cannot hear God and you'll not listen to God until God speaks to you and God speaks loudest through His word. And if you don't hear anything else I say, listen to this next principle. Never let your problems outweigh God's promises. 
Never let your problems outweigh God's promises. No matter what you're discouraged about, no matter how much you think you have a reason to be discouraged, God has already promised, hey, I'm going to work everything out for your good and everything out for my glory. You see, the truth of the matter is this. Discouragement is an opportunity to experience God's encouragement. God loves to encourage us in the midst of our greatest discouragement. Billy Graham put it this way. He said, mountaintops are for views and inspiration, but fruit is grown in the valleys. That is so true. It's easy to forget God when you reach the mountaintop of victory, but you are reminded of your need for God when you are in the valley of discouragement and disappointment and disillusionment and defeat. So I close with this. One of the greatest movies I think ever made, won the Academy Award for Best Picture, made many, many years ago. If you've never seen it, get it and see it. It was called Chariots of Fire. It's a must-see. It's the story of two men who competed in the Olympics at the turn of the century. One of the runners was Harold Abrahams. He was a dedicated young Jewish man. The other man, the other runner, Eric Liddell, was a lightning-fast young Scotsman and a wonderfully devout Christian. In, in one of the most dramatic scenes, Liddell was about to run the race. And as the starter pistol fired, he had this habit of kind of throwing his head back as, 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 as he started off. And he shot ahead of the pack. But as he did, he was intentionally knocked to the ground by one of his opponents. He was lying in the center of the track as the other runners quickly outdistanced themselves from him. And the truth of the matter is, many runners, if not most runners, would have just given up. But Liddell, with this determined look on his face, rose up, looked up to heaven, threw his head back, and while he was praising God, began to run as hard as he could. Soon he was closing in on the other runners, and in a dramatic last-minute finish, giving everything he had, he inched forward, and he won the race, and he won the gold medal. So life has knocked you flat on your back. You're lying on the track, and it looks like that goal you were after, it looks like what you were trying to achieve, it looks like that, that finish line you were trying to cross is getting farther and farther away from you. Let me just say this. If that's you today, you need a life lift. And if you have fallen flat on your face, you can get up because Jesus will pick you up, and he will see to it that you cross the finish line. Let's pray together. With his vow with eyes closed, I want to encourage some of you today to make the greatest decision of your life, and that is to give your heart and to give your life to Jesus.